Hello, and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 191. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me, once again, is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Michaud. Ah, milk. Does a body good. Hello, Pete. Good to have you back. Good to be here, Chris. All right. Yes, we are here once again to talk about what is going on in the world of Nintendo, and that means some game impressions, some news, and then this episode's big topic, which is going to be our favorite video games of the past decade. However, before we get to that, we will kick things off with some game impressions, and while there haven't been any major releases since our last episode, we did have a couple of smaller-scale indie-style titles that we wanted to touch on, and the first one I wanted to discuss is a game from Arc System Works called Code Shifter. Hmm, scary. <laughs> no, not so much. Scary <laughs> is definitely not a word I would use for it, although what I would call it is weird. This is an action platformer with a severe identity crisis. Like, if you go into the eShop and you look at the art for this game, (laughs) you would think it was based on some ABC family show or a PBS special or something. The (laughs) graphics look like some sort of cheesy Imagine Babies sequel for six-year-old kids (laughs) about this fantasized game development company. It's just very colorful, very cartoony with these really generic character designs and character animations that look like they came out of a Flash game. Yeah, I'm looking at the screenshots right now and I have no idea what to make of this. Yeah, I mean, that's what you would think from just looking at it because in a lot of the game, you're actually just walking around this development studio, which kind of looks like a preschool with computers for some reason (laughs) and just wander around you interact with other characters from an isometric perspective although you know as you do this the controls they're kind of non-responsive they're a little bit sluggish anyway between the appearance and the controls and this environment it's really not off to a great start (laughs) however then after that you get into the actual gameplay which is this side-scrolling platformery action and you play this avatar named sarah and you know her actions supposedly are debugging the game code at this fictitious game company. So you are running around and jumping through the levels, you're destroying bugs with your melee attack, you're killing bad guys, and it's not bad, but it is sort of generically cartoony and has pretty simple designs. But then, just when you think that's what the game is all about, no, you encounter a wide variety of pixel art game characters from various Arc System Works properties. So (laughs) you suddenly get the ability to turn into characters from Double Dragon or Guilty Gear or River City Ransom (laughs) or Blaze Blue and stuff like that. And all the characters have different skills and abilities, like some can smash through crates, some can float up on air currents, some can melt ice, some can activate machinery, and they even come complete with these awesome retro 8-bit tunes that play when you are these characters. Now, you do have to change back to the generic Avatar Girl to destroy the bugs, but playing as all these other characters is pretty darn cool and you even have these other retro 8-bit characters you can call in for assist attacks Hmm. so yeah it really is two very very different worlds fighting each other here you know half the game is generic saccharine family-friendly fluff and the other half is like badass retro action i mean the real core gameplay here 
is you know sort of basic but is very solid you know you get a jump a double jump a variety of attacks and you do get to earn stat upgrades as you progress through the game but the fun part really is getting to play as all these other characters i mean you can play as a bobo <laughs> yes i'm seeing that that's amazing yeah but you know i mean really it would just be a better game it would be more fun if i was always playing as a bobo <laughs> or billy lee or Kyoko and Masako from River City Girls, or Soul Bad Guy, or whoever. <laughs> I've heard you say Soul Bad Guy before, and I thought you were making that up. <laughs> no, it is a real character. But yeah, playing as all these other characters, that stuff is fun. But you know, if you could just play as these characters and not have to deal with the generic avatar and these cringy play school programmer sequences, I think it would just be a better game. And then, on top of that issue, the game just could have used a bit more polish overall. The controls feel just sort of a tad off, like you can move only using the analog stick and not the control pad, but you only move basically in a couple directions, so there's really no need for it to use the analog stick. It's really weird. And also, the collision with the enemies just feels a little bit off. Hmm. It's also worth noting that there is this whole Smash Brothers-style fighting mode in here where all you do is play as the pixel characters, but it doesn't seem to have any options. Like, you can't even choose which stage you're going to fight on, even though there are multiple stages. And there's also no collision between the characters. So they just sort of you know can run through each other as they move around. So again, it just feels not really fleshed out and kind of, sort of, off, you could say. Hmm. I can see that. So ultimately... While the platforming and action is fairly fun and playing as all these retro characters is really cool, it kind of just seems like it's a veneer slapped over some pretty generic gaming experience. Like they, they found this game lying around like, <laughs> hmm, this game is okay. I'm not sure it'll really sell. Hey, let's just throw all these characters in there. Then everyone's going to love it. So yeah, it's just coming from some really weird place. I just could not care less about the game dev characters or that story. And, you know, even though I was really excited for this one because of all of the retro goodness, for me, I would say it really just wasn't quite enough. And I suspect that other players might feel the same way. I mean, maybe hardcore Arc System Works fans will really appreciate it and feel differently. But for me, it feels a bit like a missed opportunity. It's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds like such. I mean, it almost sounds like the... You know, Doki Doki Panic, Super Mario Brothers 2 sort of situation. <laughs> I don't think it's quite like that. But uh, yeah, I see what you're saying, how they just took some totally different game and you know, put some different stuff in there. It's it's very strange. And because of that, I just can't really give it a recommendation, fortunately, unless you just like, yeah, I really, really will do anything to play as a Bobo officially. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you read my mind. All right. Well, moving along to something that you have been playing, Pete, I understand that you have been trying out a game called 1980X. And while this game has just been slightly on my radar a little bit, I really don't know anything about it. So I'd love to hear what this title is all about and if it's any good. Yeah, this is probably one of the stranger games I've ever played. And I, I mean that. <laughs> oh boy, it's going around this week. <laughs> yeah, and I only say that because it really is... I can't really think of another game that kind of does this exact same thing. I mean, there definitely are some games out there that there's sort of this collection of mini games, but 
The way this game kind of comes together, it's not only just a collection of minigames, and when I say collection, I mean five, but it's kind of all put together in this compelling, really you know, story-driven adventure game. Okay. So to take a step back here, essentially 1980X is this you know, heavily story-driven adventure game told through this collection of five really well-crafted minigames that you could really easily take each one and flesh them out into their own full game and be like, oh, okay, this is a really awesome game. I mean, it almost doesn't even seem like minigame is necessarily the right term for each of these, right? Yeah, I only say minigame in the sense that you only get to play, you know, at most, like, I would say two to five levels of each. And just to run through the quick list, the first game is called Beating Heart, and that's like a sort of a final fight knockoff. Ooh. Sounds right up my alley. <laughs> it, it would be. There's an Out of the Void, and that's a shoot 'em up in the vein of like a Gradius. Okay. Also up my alley. Mm-hmm. Yep. There is a game called The Runaway, which is almost feels like a pixel perfect port of Outrun from the arcades. Okay. Then there's a game called Shadow Play, mm-hmm. which is very much like Shinobi. But it also kind of meets an endless runner, and I don't really remember Shinobi being like that. But again, it's not endless. It only lasts for a few levels. All right. And then lastly, there's a game called Killstream, which is an RPG. If you can imagine like some of the early Fantasy Star games, their dungeons, how they're like this first-person view, dark hallway. You can't really see much beyond the square you're yeah, in. Yeah, totally. I remember that. Yeah. So you play as this protagonist known only as The Kid. And essentially, you know, the game's trying to kind of cover the idea of like adolescence and growing up in a place in time where video games, especially arcade games, are sort of this escape that allows you to kind of control things in a time in most people's lives where you're not really able to control much. You know, when you're sort of in those teen years between like 13 and 18 where your life is kind of in the control of a lot of other people. And it kind of brings you back into that time period, at least, you know, I don't know if everyone can relate to it, but I think if you're a gamer, you kind of understand the feeling of escape and the feeling of when you play games, there's a feeling of getting away from it all and retreating to this world that you kind of you control. Hmm, okay. And it's done that by uh, narration. There's a voice actress named Maya Tuttle who is the only voice you'll hear in the game and it's sort of through the eyes of this protagonist kid and she's sort of narrating her perspective on the world and how you know there's this city in the distance she lives in suburbia but uh, there's a city in the distance and there's just this feeling of like this bigger adventure waiting once you're old enough to go like own a car and escape your suburban lifestyle yeah, so is she the kid then she is the kid okay and okay. essentially as the story's told you kind of jump into these different games and you actually start off in the final fight game beating heart and then that sort of segues into the story and i think half of it you're just trying to figure out what's going on but then as you play it you start to realize okay you know this starts to make a lot of sense all kind of ramping up to the end where you know Well, I'm not going to give away too much, but you basically just sort of get lost in video games. And it definitely sets up for a sequel, but uh, maybe I'm saying too much. Well, really, I guess an interesting narrative is good and all, but what I want to know is, are these five retro-style games any good? Yeah, so I think that's what makes this game worthwhile, is that those five mini-games, five retro-style games, 
are really, really good. And I think what really puts it over the top is the art style for me. In the whole game, really, the cutscenes with the narration are all 16-bit plus. Like, kind of reminds me of, like, 80s computer games. Just that, like, pixel art in spades. Like, there's cool neighborhood shots, cool city shots. And then the games themselves, Final Fight, like, you'd be hard-pressed to not think that it was, like, a screenshot from some beat em up from the 80s. Hmm. All right. Same with Out of the Void. You know, honestly, all of them just look and sound amazing. They actually have Yuzo Koshiro. Oh, no kidding. He's one of my favorites. He is literally on the soundtrack. Huh. And. Guy who did Streets of Rage and Act Razor. <laughs> I guess this game started as a Kickstarter. And so I guess they probably reached out to him and said, hey, would you be interested in, you know, being part of this and i don't know how much he did but i assume he definitely did the beating heart final fight game so you know if you're a fan of that but other than that the the whole game has a really great soundtrack really cool art style i think that's pretty much the gist i will say the drawback and this is probably a big one for you is that the game only lasts probably i would say two hours tops I don't know. It's not really a problem for me. I got enough, you know, <laughs> 45-hour games, 80-hour games to play through. So, I don't know. That probably doesn't bother me too much unless you think there's really an issue with the value proposition. No, you know, I actually don't. I guess the one tricky part is, so once you finish the game, you're able to go back and jump into these other mini games. Mm-hmm. The only problem is you're still in the game. They're not like this endless version that you get to play forever. They're just the same scene from the game. You're almost like jumping to that part in the game and playing it. I would have liked to have seen if they could have like fleshed those out a bit more. So you have like these further levels or further things you can do, but really it's all about going in and trying to get the high score for what's there. All right. Yeah. Interesting. It sounds a little bit like the underrated DS game, Retro Game Challenge, where they sort of have all these games based on, you know, classic gaming properties, but all held together with a much more extensive and less comedic type of narrative. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That's actually what I was thinking when I was playing it. But this is way more serious. It kind of has like a... I hate saying it because I feel like all the time people say Stranger Things. It really does kind of have like a little bit of a Stranger Things vibe to me. Okay. Just that it's set in the 80s and it's got this cool synth background music. You know, it's kind of a little bit edgier. It kind of reminds me of like you're literally walking into an arcade from that show. Okay. But anyway, you know, I highly recommend this. I think you can buy it on the eShop for $9.99. Oh, wow. So I feel like the price is about right. The mini games themselves, like I said, they could all be fleshed out into totally compelling full-fledged games i think if you're into this type of thing and you like the idea of a game that's kind of you know a mix i say give it a shot the price is right it's distinct enough that it will stay with you it's one of those things like i can literally recall like the different parts of it different things that are happening and the games themselves and i probably will remember them for a while so i would give my recommendation on this one all right cool Yeah, I mean, I think I'm pretty much sold. I mean, I have heard the name, and I like the sound of that. It's like, oh, something, you know, cool and retro-y, like some of my classic favorites. But I really haven't even seen a single screenshot or knew any of the details. So, uh, yeah, you tell me all about this. Definitely makes it sound like something I want to pick up. So I will try to do just that. I appreciate you filling me in about this one. Oh, yeah, and then when you're in the uh, Beating Heart game, you can actually <laughs> you can break open street cans and you'll find a hamburger or uh, money waiting for you. 
All right. Well, it doesn't get much more authentic than that. <laughs> Sounds awesome. All right. Well, those are definitely two very distinct and different types of games to give our impressions on this week. But I think it's time for us to move along now and discuss a little bit of news. The first item to discuss this week is that not too long ago, Nintendo announced a new variant on their Nintendo Switch system, that being the Animal Crossing Switch. Yeah, that thing's pretty sweet, I think. Yeah, it is coming out on March 13th, one week before Animal Crossing New Horizons, and it is you know, basically a Switch just adorned with Animal Crossing-style colors and graphics. The main unit itself, the screen, has Animal Crossing icons like bells and flowers and animal silhouettes. Uh, plus, the system includes pastel green and pastel blue Joy-Cons, as well as a white Switch dock that features artwork of Tom Nook and his kids, Timmy and Tommy. <laughs> Strangely, it's not a bundle, so it doesn't include the actual Animal Crossing game, but that means it does just sell for the regular Switch price of $300. Then on top of that, Nintendo also announced there are Animal Crossing carrying cases for both the Switch and the Switch Lite. Pete, does this thing appeal to you? Is it something that you would want to get if you could? What are your thoughts? <laughs> this is one of those, I like that it exists, but it's probably not for me. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I have no intention to get one myself. You know, maybe if there were a new Zelda-themed system or something like that, I would go for it. But I totally agree. I think it's very cool, but uh, not something I'm going to try to get my hands on personally. Uh, still pretty neat, though. Yeah, I didn't ever think that I would want a white dock, but it actually is kind of cool looking. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Another cool bit of news is that Platinum's Wii U superhero action game, The Wonderful 101, is head to Switch, and that came through a Kickstarter campaign, more or less. <laughs> yeah, it's always kind of weird when these big companies do Kickstarter campaigns, but if that means we're getting Wonderful 101, hey, why not? <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to think of it. But, you know, the way that I see it, because, you know, they had such a low amount required to make this thing come true, they're obviously not using that to fund the game. Uh. I think they were sort of just using Kickstarter as a way to do pre-orders, as a way to do promotions, and a way to get a lot of really cool rewards out in people's hands. But, yeah, I mean, the neat thing about this, aside from the fact that this game is indeed headed to Switch, which has kind of been rumored for, it feels like, you know, three years or something like since the switch was announced i'm pretty sure people have been talking about this but yeah it's actually being published by platinum not by nintendo and in fact it is coming to other platforms as well but yeah they had a very modest fifty thousand dollar amount to make the game happen and sure enough it got funded basically instantly i think it has about twenty-five thousand backers at this point in time and there's still like several weeks left in the campaign but, yeah, I mean, if you are a fan of this property, there is just, you know, so much stuff you could get. There's, like, a soundtrack, a digital comic, a keychain, t-shirt, stickers, membership ID cards, uh, art books, standees, action figures, and more. And then the more funding they get means they're going to put it back into additional content, which will come in the form of DLC. So the game's going to hit, supposedly, as early as April, and then whatever they're able to make through these additional stretch goals, it will come as DLC down the line, which will be free to anyone who backs the game. Yeah, I mean, to me, this kind of seems like a win-win. 
yeah, I mean, if it's the kind of game that appeals to you, sure, why not? And it's a great way to get on the ground floor. If you support the Kickstarter, I think you get an exclusive cover for the game if you go with the physical edition. And with uh, 25,000 backers, I feel like it might have already sold more than the Wii U version ever did, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's good. I mean, it, it's always nice when a game that's good gets more people to play it. Yes, yes, indeed. Now, for me, though, the big question is how will it play without the Wii U touchscreen? I mean, mm. that was kind of a big factor in how that game was built. So I'm just kind of wondering how it's going to work without that feature on the Switch and other versions of the game. You know, potentially you could touch the touchscreen, but obviously not when you're playing on dock mode. <laughs> Uh, this is true, this is true. But you know, I'm sure they're going to have to figure something out for a multi-platform release. And, uh, you know, knowing Platinum, I'm sure they'll come up with something that works very, very well. So you have until March 6th to contribute to this if you want to pitch into the Kickstarter. Pete, are you planning to get this one? You know, I probably will get this one. I really was a fan of the Wonderful 101 on Wii U. My Wii U is now in a box. <laughs> I don't have any means of playing it right this moment. So, yeah, I, I think I would support this. Yeah, I don't think that is a bad idea. I will probably end up supporting it myself. I do own it on Wii U, but I have really barely played it at all. So, you know, maybe I could do something about that and actually play it this time when it comes out on Switch in the near future. Sounds good. Now, another game I'm looking forward to that comes out actually next week as we record this is a collection of classic games from the folks at Arc System Works. It is the Double Dragon and Kunio Kun Retro Brawler Bundle, which hits on February 20th. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yes, yes it is. Which is appropriate given that it is jam-packed with 18 classic <laughs> 8-bit NES games. Three of these games are Double Dragon, Double Dragon 1, 2, and 3, and then 15 of them are Kunio Kun games, which, of course, that series is better known as River City here in North America. Ah, right. And of these 15 games, though, 11 of them have apparently never been released in North America before, yet here they come and they are all being localized. So you'll recognize stuff like River City Ransom, of course, but there are also several never-before-seen-North-America Kunio Kun beat em ups included here. Then there are the sports games. You know, everybody who's our age remembers Super Dodgeball on the NES. But on top of that, there are apparently, you know, previously unreleased titles such as basketball and ice hockey and an Olympic style game. I think there's an additional dodgeball game. There's just all kinds of stuff featuring these characters that gamers over here have never had a chance to play before. And I think that is pretty awesome. Yeah, that is great. The publisher has promised that there is also going to be new features such as online gameplay, various visual and audio options, and some enhanced versions of some of these titles. So, like, between this and the River City characters being featured in Smash Brothers' Spirits recently, it really feels like this series is getting pumped full of new life and getting a lot more recognition here in North America recently. Yeah, definitely. However, there is one downside to this, and that is that this collection is selling for $40. Ay, caramba. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even I had to do a double take at that. Like, if it was $20, bucks, it would be like, no problem, I'm going to buy this game instantly. But at 40 bucks, it's like, hmm, maybe I should wait and see if I can get a physical version for Wounded Run Games or something like that. I'm just totally speculating that's a thing that's going to happen. I have no idea if there will be a physical version or not. But yeah, at $40, that's not quite an impulse buy anymore. So uh, yeah, I might have to hold off just a little bit. But man, I really, really do want to check this out 
because it is pretty cool that we are getting this here in North America. Yeah, it really is. But yeah, that price has got to uh, change. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, might have to wait for a sale. However, speaking of cool retro games, they're coming out very soon. Yes, also next week on February 20th, Sega is releasing Sega Ages Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I guess that's good timing, given that the movie is just about to come out. (laughs) I wonder if that's coincidence. Eh, Maybe, maybe not. But either way, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is indeed a true classic. It was originally released in 1992 for the Sega Genesis. It was bigger and faster than the original Sonic. It's the game that introduced Tails, the drunk mutant squirrel, and really cemented the Sonic series as one of the all-time greats, I would say. This version includes, of course, the original 16-bit version, which includes the split-screen versus mode, and it also includes a brand new supersonic mode that lets you just blast through the game as the invincible, golden, super-powered Super Saiyan Hedgehog, and this game includes the ability to play as Knuckles, which, you know, was not in the original, but could be added by attaching the Sonic and Knuckles cartridge. So, yeah, it's great to see all that stuff in here. Yeah, that's awesome. In addition, Sega is also releasing the puzzle game Poyo Poyo 2 on that day in the Sega Ages collection. But uh, for me, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is what it's all about. And at a price of only $8, heck, maybe I'll even get both. Hey, why not? <laughs> then the last bit of news I wanted to bring up is the fact that Pokemon Home has gone live. Pete, I haven't really had much of a chance to check this one out yet, but you have looked into it a little bit, right? Yeah, I haven't downloaded it on my Switch yet, but I did happen to download the app on my iPhone. Oh, okay. And what can you tell me about it? Well, it's pretty cool. Obviously, it's a free download, but apparently when you download the app, you get the ability to pick a Gen 1 starter. So you can pick from Bulbasaur, Squirtle, or Charmander. Oh, that's nice. And you'll be able to transfer these into Sword or Shield eventually? Yeah, and then there was also a random Pikachu in my box, so... (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Yeah, Pikachu on the house, I guess. Mm -hmm. But my understanding is that this is a paid service. Right, so from my understanding, there's two different approaches. One is the free approach, and you can store up to 30 Pokemon in your home. Okay, that's better than nothing. Yeah, and I believe those have to be Sword and Shield Pokemon. Ah. If you do the paid subscription, which I understand to be uh, $16 a year, or I think it's $3 a month, hmm. okay, which is kind of weird, <laughs> then you can store up to 6,000 Pokemon. Wow. Which like a lot. seems like a lot. But you can also, I think more importantly, transfer from older games, right? which people are, you know, have been clamoring for for a while. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like if you are a big Pokemon collector, then this may be, you know, worth the price of admission. Because $16 isn't that much in the grand scheme of things, but it just seems like a lot to indefinitely pay that much every year to keep Pokemon <laughs> alive and well. Yeah, yeah, especially when you consider that Nintendo Switch Online is $20 a year. It does seem perhaps a little bit steep. Yeah, or it almost seems like there should be like a discount if you already pay for Nintendo Online. But <laughs> Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, for me personally, you know, I do enjoy the Pokemon games, but I don't think I'm enough of a fan that I would need anything beyond the free service. So, yeah, I'm glad that at least that is an option. I'll be sure to check it out. Anything else of note about Pokemon Home? I think... The biggest piece of this whole puzzle is the unveiling of Grand Oak. 
Grand Oak. What is Grand Oak? <laughs> so Grand Oak apparently is Professor Oak, and I guess you could say it's like his evolved version. Uh huh. He's wearing some like really spiffy green arrow sunglasses, and he's got long hair, kind of in like a mullet. <laughs> okay. It's like parted over his shoulders. It looks like he's wearing a white <laughs> scarf or something. All right. It kind of just looks like you know, like your crazy grandpa or something that just like you know. <laughs> Decided to sell his house and get a minivan. and. So what you're saying is that Professor Oak has had a midlife crisis. It kind of feels like that. I mean, even <laughs> maybe not a midlife crisis so much as just like, a, I don't care what anybody thinks anymore and I'm hitting the road. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I had seen that art, but I did not realize that was possibly supposed to be Professor Oak. So, all right, that sounds phenomenal and worth giving Pokemon Home some attention right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knew this was going to happen? I would never have thought that they would, you know, go this direction with like, a, especially a classic character such as Professor Oak, mm-hmm. but I kind of love it. Okay, well, it sounds amazing. And that takes care of our news for this week. So I suppose it's time for us to take an intermission. Hmm. And then when we come back... Wait a second. uh, What's going on, Pete? Is there more news? Well, no. Oh, well, then what's up? Well, it's my turn to hassle the Hoff. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's been so long since we've done a show together, I kind of forgot about that. But yeah, (laughs) I should have known that was up your sleeve. So, okay. All right. Let's do this. What do you got for me this week, Pete? All right. Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman. Yes? If you were going to buy a game for the special someone in your life, you know, being Valentine's Day and all coming up, what would you buy and why? That's a tricky question. I'm imagining Chicken Wiggle. Uh, No, it's surprisingly easy to get arrested by wiggling your chicken at somebody, (laughs) so probably wouldn't be that one. Yeah, don't do that, kids. Part of me says Ghost Trick, just because I feel like everybody should play mm. Ghost Trick, and sometimes I walk around with a spare copy of Ghost Trick in my pocket, just waiting to find somebody to give it to, because they desperately need to play Ghost Trick and have <laughs> not played Ghost Trick. Right. But that really goes for anybody, not just a uh, significant person on Valentine's Day. You know, For Valentine's Day, I imagine you'd want to do some sort of co-op game Mm. you know nothing says romance like getting together with your significant other and just beating the crap out of people so you know maybe the capcom beat-em-up bundle Mm. that is available for download on switch you know that's a great way to uh, get together with someone and forge a connection by pounding punks into the pavement right and just brutally mashing buttons (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes indeed, causing carpal tunnel syndrome for both of you. So they can go to the hospital together. <laughs> all right, all right, I like it. Let's see, is there another another option? I could also possibly suggest, you know, if it's someone who's into retro games, you know, pick up the Contra collection, because, you know, Contra is another awesome co-op series out there that, you know, is always fun and enjoyable to play. Uh, and then, you know, that other co-op game that we have talked about recently on the show several times that being the stretchers, because it's not only great for co-op play, it is also completely hilarious. So <laughs> I think it would be hard to go wrong with any of those choices. <laughs> yeah, and the stretchers is kind of fun because I feel like even if you're terrible at games, you'd still enjoy it. Yeah, totally. I think you are completely correct about that. Yep, absolutely. All right, I accept your answer. Okay, 
Very good. In that case, it is definitely time for us to take our intermission, and then we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is the best games of the decade. We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the best video games of the decade. Obviously, the 2010s just recently came to a close. Many outlets have already listed their top games of the past 10 years. They did it back in December or January. And, you know, we've been asked a couple times ourselves about our top picks. So here we are. Uh, It's mostly just us asking each other, but, you know. Oh, it was not. Would you stop (laughs) Anyway, yes, these are naturally our own personal opinions, so these lists are only based on what we have played and our own personal tastes, and of course they are limited strictly to Nintendo systems. So without further ado, let's get into the lists. Pete, you want to kick us off with your number 10? Yeah, certainly. All right, let's do it. Yeah, number 10, I've got Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Ah, that is a great game. Yeah, Mario Kart in general, you know, never tends to disappoint. But I think Mario Kart 8 in particular was a fantastic entry into the series. Yeah, I would say it's probably the best one. Right, and then Deluxe just kind of puts it over the top even more, you know, with all the available DLC and you get, you know, the ability to play it on Switch. So you're instantly, I played this game much more multiplayer just on a baseline than I did on Wii U because of the portability of the Switch. You know, just having that, you know, the the game with you, being able to kind of, you know, I hate to say pull it out at parties, (laughs) like like a rooftop party, like, you know, Nintendo was originally advertising. But no, realistically, yeah, there's times where you're like, oh, it would be really fun to play Mario Kart with somebody right now. And here I am, and I'm making this happen, and this game is a ton of fun, and the, to me, the definitive version of the game. Yeah, absolutely. It looks great. It plays great. It has fantastic track design. It has all those cool anti-gravity mechanics. It is an excellent game, and I totally agree. Probably the best kart racing game ever made. Wow. Strong words. Moving along to my number 10, I'm going with Shovel Knight Treasure Trove. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, this originally came out in 2014 on the Wii U and 3DS. More recently came out on Switch. But, you know, in a way, I feel like the 2010s could be considered like the decade of the rise of indie developers. Hmm. And I don't feel that any game represents that quite as well as Shovel Knight, in my opinion. 
It just had a great concept from the start, a great hook, and then it delivered on that hook with some captivating 8-bit style gameplay and graphics and sound, and it really felt like an all-time lost classic right out of the gate. The digging and downward thrusting mechanics were just an absolute joy, and then when you add in all the other modes and characters and content that's been released since that original campaign, you get a game that truly deserves every accolade that it's received. Plus, it has butt mode, which pretty much makes it an automatic game of the decade regardless <laughs> of anything else. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Yacht Club Games so far has really only done Shovel Knight, but that's no problem because they've done it amazingly well. And that franchise, it feels like it's here to stay. And yeah, I think you can't really point to another indie game and say that it was more impactful than Shovel Knight this decade. Yeah, can't wait to see what those guys do next. All right. Well, at number nine, I've got Rocket League for Switch. Okay. Yeah, for me, Rocket League was one of these games that is just, you know, a league of its own. I am not a huge multiplayer gamer these days, mm -hmm. but Rocket League in particular... A league of its own. I see what you did there. <laughs> it wasn't a league of its own. It really captured my attention in a way that I can't say a lot of games have recently. I mean, I probably, over multiple consoles, I probably put... Hmm, I hate to admit it, but probably somewhere in the 100 to 200 hour range of hours playing Rocket League. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's one of those games, you pick it up, it's a five minute game, and then you're on to the next one, and before you know it, you've spent four hours in one sitting playing this <laughs> game trying to, you know, just beat randoms on the internet. Yeah, that was definitely the sign of a good game. Yeah, and they just have this really simple concept, really executed it well, and it's easily, to me, one of the games of the decade. All right. A fine pick, I would say. My number nine choice is The Last Story, released for Wii in 2012. Oh, wow. I did not see that coming. Yeah, this is an RPG from Hironobu Sakaguchi's Mistwalker Studio. It was released very close to the end of the Wii's life cycle in North America. In fact, we almost didn't even get it over here. And, you know, most people probably prefer Xenoblade Chronicles as their Wii RPG of choice, but I just absolutely love The Last Story. Its combat system is really unique in that it combines turn-based and real-time elements, including shooter elements, and just creates something that's really cool and experimental and fun. I also really enjoy the art style, as well as the more intimate, smaller-scale setting of the story, and it really benefits from not being about saving the entire world, but focuses instead on one small kingdom. But more than anything, I think it's the relationship between the protagonist, Zale, and Princess Callista that really endeared me to this game. Just the way those two come together feels very real and natural, which I can't say about a lot of video game romances. And uh, yeah, I just think the game is fantastic, and I would very much be down with an HD remake. Yeah, the art style in this game is uh, fantastic, and I am really glad you included a Wii game. <laughs> I couldn't do it myself. Yep, had to give one last shout-out to the last story. What's next for you, Pete? And number eight, I've got Pokemon Sun and Moon. Ah, for 3DS. All right. Yeah, what more can you say? Pokemon has had a huge decade. 
they've actually had multiple huge decades. Yep, yeah, for sure. But since the original, you know, kind of craze wore off, Pokemon Sun and Moon was the first title that really captured my attention into that universe again. Yeah, same with me. Yeah, I think it was just sort of a revigoration of sort of the franchise. There's a lot of different techniques they kind of use. You have spins on the original characters. Yeah, I agree. It just felt very, very refreshing. It was a lot of familiar territory, but done in a whole new way that made it feel like no Pokemon game that ever been released before. Yeah, and, you know, typically, I hate to say it, a lot of Pokemon games, you know, the dialogue or whatever's going on, just kind of, I end up getting a little bit bored and then I end up logging off and that's it. Pokemon Sun and Moon really captured my attention. I really liked the island vibe and I just thought in general it did a lot for the franchise. So for me, it belonged on this list. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I believe it is my favorite game in the Pokemon franchise and it really totally renewed my interest in the series. Before that, I don't remember what the last time was I actually played all the way through a Pokemon game. But yeah, I played all the way through that one. And you know, my interest has stayed pretty high ever since. So I give that one big props for uh, renewing my interest in Pokemon. Nice. Your number eight. My number eight pick is Fire Emblem Awakening for Nintendo 3DS, published in 2013. Oh, that was my number seven. Ah, good timing. Yeah, this is definitely my personal favorite entry in this long-running series of Fire Emblem. It was the game that I thought brought the series sort of back into the limelight for a lot of people, and with good reason. You know, on top of the traditional, highly polished, grid-based strategy, it just had a really great story and some really, really likable characters with Krom and Lucina. Plus, it added that really excellent time travel twist that I think every entry since then has tried to live up to in some way. Yeah, Fire Emblem Awakening for me definitely stands out as at least my favorite entry into the series. And I think a lot of it has to do with just overall art style, overall like playability. Some of the characters are really intriguing. And yeah, I think it really did bring uh, Fire Emblem sort of back to the forefront and probably part of why we're getting so much more Fire Emblem love <laughs> from Nintendo. Yep, that's why like half the characters in Smash Brothers are from Fire Emblem. <laughs> it's all your fault, Awakening. <laughs> that's right. But uh, yeah, I mean, it pretty much does everything right. It looks great, it sounds great, it plays great. And I don't think it hurt that they sort of tweaked the difficulty to make it a little bit more accessible. I think that was definitely a big step in making it have universal appeal. So yeah, Fire Emblem Awakening basically did it right on all fronts. All right, well, it's my number seven, so I feel like we can probably just continue to your number seven. Yep, sounds good to me. And my number seven is Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Dual Destinies, released in 2013 for 3DS. I object. Overrule. Ah. Sorry, Pete. This one makes it this high on my list for its great characters and great story, which seems to have been a theme in all my picks so far, but it is certainly very true in this game as well. After what some people might have seen as a misstep with the fourth Ace Attorney game, I think this one really brought the series back. It put Phoenix Wright back in the forefront, in the limelight. It added a great new protagonist named Athena Sykes, who I found very, very relatable. She also brought new gameplay elements with her, and that helped create a more fleshed-out gameplay experience. They also managed to make Apollo Justice cool, which, like, really didn't seem possible after the previous game of the series, yet somehow they did it. (laughs) So, you know, you put that all together, great characters, great mysteries, and the ever-satisfying gameplay element of exposing lies and yelling objection into the mic, as you just so clearly demonstrated, and you get a game that that definitely, I would say, belongs on this list. 
sustained. <laughs> I, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> okay. What's next on your list, Pete? All right. Coming in at number six on my list is The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Oh, wow. Now, you might be thinking, Pete, we just did Game of the Year, and you didn't say Wild Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I bet maybe I was. And what I would say to you is that in my brain, The Witcher 3 didn't come out last year. It came out a couple years ago because that was when I played it. Uh-huh. So I can't rightfully say that it was a 2019 game. In my brain, though, it absolutely belongs in the last decade of great games, especially in a top 10 list. So here we are. Okay. All right. If you say so, Pete. <laughs> so what makes it so great? Yeah. So The Witcher 3 in general is just a fantastic adventure game. I mean, if you are into something like Skyrim, if you're into something like Breath of the Wild, it really kind of has those things in spades. I mean, the main character is intriguing. The storyline is really compelling. The voice acting is top-notch. The entire game has pretty much voice acting wall-to-wall and little side quests. And as you're trying to figure out, you know, the main storyline, there's all these things to do and none of it is boring. It's all like really fun, compelling gameplay. And you're driven to sort of, you know, explore every little inch of the map. To me, the best way to describe Witcher 3 is sort of like if Skyrim had really good gameplay, like (laughs) almost like Breath of the Wild. First and foremost, it's a game and the controls are really good. Anyways, Witcher 3, I can't say enough about it. I still need to go back in and play the DLC, but even having not played the DLC, I couldn't recommend it more. And that's why it gets number six on my list. Okay, I admit I have still not played that one, but I really, really do want to check it out. Hopefully I will get around to it sooner rather than later. Yes, you should definitely do that. All right, moving on to my number six. I am going with Ghost Trick Phantom Detective, which came out for DS in 2011. Obviously, I alluded to this game earlier in the show. We were talking about games that uh, you know I want people to play. And that is because this game is just, you know, so much fun, so chock full of interesting things, interesting characters, and once again, another great mystery and a great story from the creator of Ace Attorney. However, the gameplay is very, very different. You know, this time you play an enigmatic deceased individual named Sissel, and sure, you're dead, but (laughs) as a ghost, you get to manipulate objects to solve puzzles and move through the environment, and you use these powers, these ghost tricks, to prevent other characters from winding up as dead as you are. So that's really fun. And then on top of that, it just has some fantastic writing and some of the best animations I have ever seen for any game on any system. I replayed this title recently and I just can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah, I can totally understand why this is on your list. I'm kind of bummed I didn't think of that myself, but it is a fantastic game. I actually do need to go back and play it. It's been a while, but I remember just being, you know, totally riveted with the storyline and compelled to figure out exactly how it was all going to shape up. Yeah, that twist at the end is pretty darn surprising too. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so what's your number five? In at number five, I have Super Mario 3D World for the Wii U. Oh, all right, a Wii U game. Excellent. (laughs) Well, they basically had me at Cat Mario. (laughs) But realistically, I just thought Super Mario 3D World was uh, just sort of one of the best Mario games to come out in some time at that point. Yeah, certainly a great one. And they really seem to nail the four-player Mario game that 
sort of everyone envisioned when they revealed that the Wii had four controllers. And, you know, the 2D Marios are fun, but this one, being able to have, you know, sort of everyone run around in a 3D environment with four players, really set it apart, in my opinion. Yeah, they absolutely nailed it, for sure. I thought the level design was great. I thought just, like, it really was one of the more, to me, comprehensive Mario games since even maybe Mario 64. Oh, wow. That's definitely some high praise. Yeah, just start to finish, I thought it was just right up there with some of the best Mario ever, and uh, that's why it is number five on my list. All right, well, it is certainly a great pick, and a game that I love as well, certainly one of my favorites on Wii U. But moving along to my number five, okay, I think this one's going to be perhaps a little bit controversial, (laughs) but I am actually going with The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild (gasps) from Switch in 2017. Wow. Yeah, I mean... I think a lot of people would say, yes, this is definitely one of the greatest open world games ever created, perhaps the greatest open world game ever created. I think a lot of people would say that uh, this is low on the list compared to other people's (laughs) best of the decade choices. But really, for me, I think that just speaks to how much I love some of the other games out there that will be coming later on my list. Because really... Breath of the Wild just does almost everything right. It is a magical experience with a beautiful world that begs to be explored. It's full of mysteries and challenges and multiple ways to do almost everything. It is the Legend of Zelda that we know and love, and yet it's totally new and refreshing. It's gorgeous. It's lured with freedom and possibilities. And I think there are things in this game that people even have not discovered to this day. So... I don't think there's any question this is one of the great ones. You can't go wrong with Breath of the Wild. Wow, throwing a curveball at number five there. (laughs) Yep, yep, I suppose so. Well, I won't add anything to it yet. (laughs) All right, fair enough. (laughs) Let us move along then. What is your number four? All right, weighing in at number four, I've got Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Ooh, all right. Which is perhaps more of a video game online museum than it is a game at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but I would say it is definitely very much both. Yeah. I mean, Super Smash Brothers in general has been just this excellent franchise consistently. And they've all been fairly solid entries. I mean, you could still argue that Melee is probably the best uh, Smash Brothers, at least in my opinion. Well, it certainly was up until this one. I don't know. This one might have overtaken it. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is right in that same caliber. I mean, it is right there. And the fact that they can just keep adding things to it, the fact that there's these spirits that they can literally now pull in almost any game they even desire. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's really unfair. I mean, it is the definitive collection of Smash Brothers, And, you know, even reading recently that it was like sort of Mr. Sakurai's last mission from Mr. Iwata... It's truly a collection of video game love. For sure. And on top of it is one of the best fighting games of this decade. Yeah, absolutely. It is the gift that keeps on giving, really. Like you said, it is more than just a fighting game. You know, Where else can you go to one single product that has playable characters of Mario and Link and Mega Man and Sonic and Simon Belmont and Solid Snake (laughs) and Cloud and Banjo-Kazooie. And then on top of that, you have Shovel Knight and Shantae and Cuphead and Undertale all combined into one. You know, so many characters and stages and musical tracks and it looks great and it sounds great. And it does really live up to that reputation and legacy of being, you know, sort of the ultimate gamers game. So yeah, I absolutely have to agree. It is one of the best of the decade 
Absolutely. Yeah, I used to wonder if I could go back in time and bring something with me, what it would be and why. <laughs> and now I'm realizing that I probably, if I stumbled upon a time machine, I would just bring Super Smash Bros. Ultimate on a Nintendo Switch to my eight-year-old self and just blow my mind. <laughs> he wouldn't even believe it. Like, no way. This is absolutely fake. This could never happen. <laughs> right. What is Simon Belmont doing in a game with any of these guys? <laughs> yep, for sure. For sure. But uh, yes, that's an excellent, excellent choice. You mean going back in time? No, I mean for number four on your list. <laughs> wow, thank you. What's number four on your list? My number four is Super Mario Galaxy 2, another Wii title. This one released all the way back in 2010, nearly 10 years ago. Holy shnikes. Yeah, I loved the original Super Mario Galaxy and its gravity-defying gameplay, and I love the sequel almost as much. I didn't really think that was going to be possible because the first Galaxy may be my favorite game of the previous decade, but Galaxy 2 is just so creative and so much fun, and I just love exploring those spherical worlds and soaring through space and goofing around with the gravitational pull. And of course, this game added new power-ups, it brought back Yoshi, introduced even more variety. You know, I figured that Nintendo was all out of great ideas when it made the first Galaxy, but man, I was totally wrong. This game is every bit as good and it lived up to every expectation I had. So, yeah. That is one of my favorite platformers ever, Super Mario Galaxy 2. Well, I can't fault you for that. We see differently on our Mario choices, but uh, that's okay. Variety is the spice of life. Yeah, for sure. Let's move along to your number three. All right. Weighing in at number three, I've got The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. Ah, excellent. Yeah, you know, speaking of going back in time and telling my eight-year-old self that there was, you know, a Smash Brothers game, I feel like A Link Between Worlds is another one that I just would not have believed after playing Link to the Past that I would somehow play a sequel to that nearly 20 years later. Yeah, for sure. I feel the same way. You know, much like with Super Mario Galaxy 2, I feel like this is a sequel that had a lot to live up to, you know, a fall up to one of my all-time faves, but... In this case, once again, it totally delivered on that promise and gave us a brand new top-down 2D Zelda game with modern technology and adding new elements that made it a new game for a new generation. Yeah, and something about, you know, using the original map and using the original music and really sort of diving into that world again just... I don't know. It's like Nintendo knows exactly where my heartstrings are and it knows how to play them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, nostalgia is an interesting thing. You know, if you mess with it too much, it can go horribly awry, but they did it wonderfully. I would say perfectly with this game. They kind of just revisit everything that we love about classic top-down Zelda. The puzzles, the combat, the items, the exploration, the mini-games. It was just as fun as ever. Yeah, and you know, it's one of those things. I didn't know I wanted to go back to that time and that game and that world, but lo and behold, I absolutely did, and it paid off. I mean, I felt like it was a good idea for a long time. I kind of been thinking, yeah, they should do like a new Legend of Zelda like they did New Super Mario Brothers, mm -hmm. and this was sort of the realization of that idea, and it totally paid off, and it was brilliant. I love this one as well. Cool. What's your number three? Well, my number three is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, which we have already discussed. And I don't think I have anything else to add about that. Still a great game, whether you're playing it, you know, competitively in the online arena or you're just a solo enthusiast, has something for everybody. Yeah, not much else to say about that one, but yeah, certainly deserving of being on the list. That is my number three pick. Yeah, finally one I can agree with. And for that matter, my number two pick we've already discussed, that being The Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds. So, 
Yeah, already have two of my top three covered. Holy. So I guess that brings us to your number two then. All right, so my number two. It was a tough one, but uh, this one happens to be Super Mario Odyssey for Nintendo Switch. Ah, all right. Well, coincidentally, that is also my number one pick of the decade, Super Mario Odyssey as well. We're a lot alike, you and I, Huff. Oh, we are flip sides of the same beard, Pete. (laughs) Oh, Super Mario Odyssey. What a splendid game you are. Yes, yes, indeed. As I have mentioned before, I consider this game to be inch for virtual inch, more tightly jam-packed with fun than just about any game out there. Like, everything is creative and brilliant and well-designed. Yeah, just the basic stuff, like jumping and collecting coins and throwing your hat is totally fun. But then you add in all the creative worlds you can explore, all the different things you can do to get moons, the ability to possess just about every enemy to gain new abilities all the unique challenges that are hiding around every corner, and you get a game that is end-to-end amazing and that I absolutely never want to put down. You know, fun bosses, 2D side-scrolling stages, an amazing soundtrack, crazy costumes for Mario, a T-Rex with a mustache. Like, what more could you possibly want? I mean, I still randomly, occasionally sing Jump Up Superstar. It really sticks with you. (laughs) But uh, no, it is a fantastic game. And I think you're right. I mean, there is no way to measure fun. But if you were able to, this game would be off the charts. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that just leaves us with your number one choice, Pete. And perhaps I have a guess as to what it is. But uh, let's hear (laughs) it straight from the horse's beard, if you will. Well, this one landed a little higher on my list. And I just thought it was you know, quintessentially to me, Nintendo's game of the decade, and that is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh Ah, well, I can't say I'm too surprised by that one. I think that is the choice of a lot of people. As I mentioned before, I do love that one as well. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, I could see it landing anywhere on your top 10 list. I don't feel weird about that, but this game really stood out to me as Nintendo looking at the Zelda franchise and really thinking, hey, let's bring this back to its roots Let's find out what the formula is that actually started this whole thing off. And let's see if we can do that in a 3D space with awesome graphics and awesome sound. And to me, that's what they did. They basically just took you back to what it's like when you start off. You get a sword and you have no idea where you're going. (laughs) Yeah. And the world is your oyster. And the more you play, the more you see. And the more you see, the more you can interact with. And before you know it you are completely invested in like collecting bananas and you don't know why. (laughs) The game is genius. You know, you can power a raft across an ocean by wind alone and you're like, how, what? (laughs) Like, this is amazing. Anyway, it's just all around, it's one of my favorite Nintendo games ever and let alone this decade. Yeah, I certainly can see where you're coming from there. Like I said, it is probably the best open world game ever created. Certainly a very deserving contender for Game of the Decade. So certainly can't fault you there. I absolutely agree. It is a brilliant, must-play, top-of-the-line experience. What did they call it? An open-air? <laughs> open-air adventure. Yep. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> okay, so there you go. There you have it. Our top 10 games of the decade. Obviously, there are a lot of games out there. I feel bad for all the games that we weren't able to put on the list, you know, especially some of the indie titles. But hopefully this gives a great shout out and a lot of recognition to a few of our personal favorites. It's pretty crazy that we could have even had a couple mobile titles on there. Uh, You would (laughs) never believe that 10 years ago, but uh, here we are. 
Well, I don't think I would consider any of those for being on my list, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's crazy that Nintendo was publishing them at all, that's for sure. Yeah. A decade ago, that definitely was not uh, looking like a possibility. No, no kidding. Anyway, I do believe that brings our big topic to a close for this episode, which means it is pretty much time to wrap up the show. But before we do that, we do have time for one more thing. And naturally, that is a dramatic reading. This time it comes from the eShop description of the Nintendo Switch game Caveman Chuck. Classic 2D platformer set in the Stone Age, where you can fight with dinosaurs. Caveman Chuck is a classic 2D platformer, where you can fight with dinosaurs in Stone Age. You're taken back all the way to the Stone Age, where you play the role of a crude caveman named Chuck. You'll quickly realize he shares his cave with his wife, who is heavily invested in the relationship, and as things often have it, she yells at him rather frequently. <laughs> One day, Chuck's wife gets kidnapped by a pterodactyl, much to Chuck's delight. He's pretty happy at first, but eventually gets hungry and quickly comes to appreciate his wife's cooking skills. He sets out to free his woman. <laughs> wow. What a plotline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of feel like there's something going on behind the scenes here with the, <laughs> the creators of this game, you know? I think they're kind of trying to send some sort of message. Maybe they've had some sort of relationship issues in the past. Yeah. I don't really know, but that's kind of my guess. It's like weirdly specific in some ways. and then, and, I know. And then it I doesn't know. really tell you anything about the game. No, no, it does. I mean, it is a platformer and you do fight dinosaurs. And let me tell you, I've checked out the video for this game. Man, the storyline sounds way cooler than the gameplay looks. It, uh, yeah, I don't want to say anything, you know, too harsh about it, but looking at the gameplay, I'm like, oh, ooh, <laughs> oh, oh boy. Yeah, you can tell it's ported over from uh, some sort of uh, low-budget mobile game. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, as far as the story goes, it was pretty entertaining to me, at least. Yeah, and at its uh, $4 price point, I don't know, might be worth giving it a shot. <laughs> Well, after viewing the trailer, I'm not sure I even spend that much for it. But uh, if you do play it, uh, let me know how it goes. <laughs> Will do. And that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com. You can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at Chris the Hoff, And you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, of course, it'd be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad. I'll be your one-up girl. And the bearded badass, Barry Burton. Hope this is not Chris's blood. We will see you next time. <laughs>